0: Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Goblitz and welcome back to the fourth Sunday after Epiphany for the week of January 29th, 2023 and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast and I'm excited based off of some of the correspondence that we had last week, kind of dealing with the question that we had for last week and I want to kind of dig into that right away because I think there was some really interesting insight that we got into. The question that we had for last week is, when have you had to make a tough decision for the greater good? And one of the responses that we got back was discussing and talking about how families coming across, and this person kind of getting a little bit more into the history with his family that it was actually based off of religious beliefs on why they came across initially, but also this idea of how... The people, if you are of white Caucasian in North America, you have some type of immigration story. This idea then of what was the influence behind that can definitely be a tough decision. I know within my family history, hearing some of the different stories, there was some very difficult decisions to be able to come across. But I think also one of the other responses that I hadn't thought of, and I don't know if I have a really good response was looking at like the Manhattan Project, which we got into some last week, that Einstein carried enough weight that when Einstein signed something saying this is something that the government should really look into, that the president took it seriously and kind of asking in today's world with today's science, who would be those people? And it was kind of an interesting discussion. The person that was messaged me this was kind of referring. Is it Elon Musk? Is it Mark Zuckerberg? And I think there's moments where, yeah, I could see each of them having some weight. But I also see moments where, especially here in the United States, the disruption that they do have within the federal government and the questions that they have with what their businesses are doing, and if it's for the benefit of everybody or just the benefit of them, also at times kind of hurts their own case. So it's a kind of a early question that it won't be the question of the week, but something to kind of be thinking about is who are those people in society today? And I don't know if there is a clear cut person, which is kind of interesting in a society that is being based around and thought so much and so highly of the scientific field, how there really isn't people who we can immediately think of would carry a lot of weight with what they say and actually have things happen based on that especially with the subject that we'll be getting into this week, I think this kind of plays into that idea a little bit of how many signs and who do we actually are are we listening to to be able to get to the root of some of these different difficult discussions. But I think as we're in this epiphany season and we're looking for Christ being the light and seeing some of that early ministry of who Jesus is, I think it's something to be reflecting on is who are we following and making sure that we're looking for that light and making sure that we're following that light instead of just whatever our own sense is giving us. And I think the text this week really reflect that. So let's just jump into it. The Old Testament text this week is out of Micah chapter 6 verses 1 to 8. This text is one of the few times that we're actually in the minor prophet of Micah And there's a lot that has gone on to get to this point, but part of it here, we have some discussion that has been brought up earlier in the book on that there has been some corrupt leaders, if you want to put it that way, some of the leaders within the tribes of Israel kind of doing some things to kind of potentially benefit the individual more than necessarily the whole group as a large And the beginning of this chapter 6, we get that it's being placed like God's on trial here and is making his case. And is kind of stating, okay, I brought you out of the tribe of Israel. I helped you through these difficult times of King Block, who was in an earlier book in King's this idea of all these difficult situations and how God's brought them forward and then this idea then of well what should we be bringing forth to God do we need to be doing sacrifices of our own selves do we need to be having burnt offerings of cattle you know all these different Richmonds that we've been doing And then the final verse is the one that everybody is more familiar with. As he told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This idea of how God then is wanting just to be with us, but then recognizing where the light of God is needing us to be. The psalm ties in really well this week, which is Psalm 15, all five verses of it, and this is a psalm kind of recognizing and looking at the procedure of entering the holy, entering the temple, and asking these questions on, What, as an individual, can I have done to be of this honor to be able to abide with the Lord and be in the presence of the Lord, to be in this place where I, as a sinful person, do not deserve this, but yet God, who loves me, wants to be able to come near and stand near to us as we are going through life's trials? The New Testament text that goes along with that is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31. This is continuing again from where we were last week. And this then is kind of getting into a little bit more of some of the issues that are going on in Corinth at that time, and the issue of how the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God is not the same. This idea of how the wisdom that God provides is everlasting, the wisdom of man can fade away and the ideas of what we see as valuable and then what God is seeing as valuable is different and is realizing that we should be following and boasting in the Lord, not necessarily boasting in our own wisdom. So it's that hard line, and that's a difficult thing to kind of be balancing out. It's kind of letting the Spirit being able to work within us and not getting full of ourselves in a lot of ways. And again, in this case, also not getting full of, oh, I'm following this person, remembering back to where we were even last week with this, this idea of how we are following God and looking for the wisdom of what God is providing instead of just the wisdom that man provides. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And this is a familiar text in some ways because this is known as the Beatitudes. Here we have one of the early sermons of Jesus. And I feel like there's a part of this that we at least need to read through. So hang with me here. We'll start in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who revile you, who persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that's going from verses 3 to 12. So this reverse way, and again, kind of tying a little bit into that First Corinthians text of what is the wisdom of God looks the opposite of what a lot of times the world sees. And I feel in certain ways, our world is at least better about some of these things. But again, I think some of these are still even hard for us to swallow in the world in which we're in today, to be able to recognize and look for all these different difficult situations to realize that that's where God is. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some insight for this podcast. I love having the historical archive that they have, along with having, again, their Working Preacher podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, their other ideas that are coming around, coming from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. So if you haven't checked out WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend that. I'd also highly recommend checking out Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out the text here every week. I also enjoy how they make sure that they're celebrating all these different holidays throughout the year, along with the hymns, the colors, all the different prayers that you can be using, and the art. I've talked about the art plenty, and it's always super good to be able to see how different people have interpreted these texts. So, if you haven't checked out Vanderbilt's Divinity Library and the Revised Common Lectionary coming from that, I'd highly recommend that. Also, one of the things that I enjoy on my spare time is trying to at least be in touch with the news, but I also kind of try using a little bit of a different source than most people do, partially because as you can probably notice if you've looked through a lot of my reference links, I really enjoy using YouTube. I think there's a lot of really powerful tools on there. And one of the people that I really enjoy listening to the news from is Phil DeFranco. Phil DeFranco has evolved a lot over his 15 plus years of being on YouTube. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed in the last year or so is that he has started doing not always, but especially seems to like doing them toward the end of the week, Thursdays, typically doing interviews and especially on harder subjects or different subjects and especially things where he isn't as much in the know He likes bringing in someone who is then able to speak with a little bit more expertise. And I'll attach a link down below from this last week's episode on Thursday discussing environmental climate change and discussing some alarming things that are coming out. And he talks to Dr. Rebecca Shaw, who is the chief scientist at the World Wildlife Foundation, WWF, and Dr. Gerardo Caballo, who is the senior researcher at the Institute of Ecology at UNAM. And through this conversation, they kind of discuss specifically a couple different aspects that has come out here in the last six months. One being WWF's Living Planet Report for 2022, which came out in October. And one of the startling statistics that came out of that report is that populations around the globe, including mammals, fish, amphibians, birds, have dropped by 69% since 1970. So let that soak in for a moment. Since 1970, the global populations of things, on average, have dropped 70%. And that means by region, they're affected differently. And that's one of the things that can kind of get pretty difficult. With me being in North America, the decline has only been 20%. Europe and Central Asia, 18%. If you increase from there... Asia and the Pacific, so you're talking Mongolia, China, getting all the way over into the Middle East and India and into Australia, the drop is 55%. For the continent of Africa, 66%. And Latin America and the Caribbean is 94%. While freshwater species have dropped 83%. In this discussion, there was a lot of different attributes of different things that have been going on, but the major causes that World Wildlife Foundation came up with was habitat loss, which, to give an example, since 1970, 30 to 35% of the world's forests have disappeared, species over-exploitation, invasive species into new areas, pollution, climate change, and diseases as their big takeaways in this which makes this very scary that through the history of the fossil record we can tell that there has been five major extinctions the last one being with the dinosaurs in which 75 percent of animals were wiped out and we all know that and it's been shown by multiple studies that more and more evidence is being around that the meteor was around that idea but currently The extinction rates are anywhere between a hundred to a thousand times higher than they should be. And there are predictions that within the next coming decades, that we could have upwards to one million species threatened by extinction based on the current trajectory that we are on. Caballo brought up this interesting statistic of looking at certain plant species over the last century that the extinction rate for some of these plants is much higher. And if there hadn't been human influence to get to the same point that we are now, they estimate that it would have been 100,000 years before being at the same point. He also brought up an interesting, easier to image picture of looking at the African elephant that are the end of the 1900s. It was about 10 million African elephants By the 1960s and 70s, we were at about a half a million African elephants. And now the current estimate is somewhere in the ballpark of 380,000 African elephants. Another example that's a little easier for us to be able to picture is there was a Danish study from 1997 to 2017 looking at the amount of insects hitting the windshield of your car and estimates are that that has dropped by 80%. Why? Because there's just less insects there to be even affecting things. When you're looking at some of the additional causes, one of them being food production and that one third of the global greenhouse emissions is due to this when you take into consideration production, consumption, and transportation. 70% of the world's fresh water goes into making our food and is the leading cause for biodiversity decline due to having single crops or raising cattle. And when you look, and this is something I distinctly remember learning in college, when you're looking at how energy flows through an ecosystem, the least efficient type of protein for people to be eating is animal protein. Because whenever you have something, eat something, it only gets about 10% of the energy that went into that thing. So especially when you think of a cow and how much you have to feed a cow in order to get meat out of it to be able to have us consume it, it's not nearly as efficient as plant protein and things of that nature. What kind of compounds this even further is that about 40% of our food that we produce is wasted, and with how our current (laughs) estimations of things are, that we use about 1.5 to 1.75 planets, and thus we are dipping more and more into our reserve and meaning that there's less and less there for the Earth to actually recoup. And this has even gotten to the point of looking at the Amazon, where Currently, the ecosystem decay of the different Amazon from moving from forest into cropland or cattle land is at about 17%, whereas if they figure if it hits 20 to 25%, that could forever drastically change the whole Amazon ecosystem. And as we've talked about before, the Amazon is kind of a bit of the lungs of our whole environmental ecosystem, and thus if we lose the lungs... We could be in for a very difficult time. And again, I would recommend checking into that interview. They get into kind of the dark side of what potentially could be coming. The positive news is that this isn't 100% guaranteed. The positive thing out of all this is when you look at COP15 summit, which happened in Montreal in December this last year, so just a month or so ago, there were multiple commitments that were made that showed that there is a step forward, and especially Dr. Shaw talked about being there, that there was a higher urgency within a lot of global communities. One of them being the commitment of conserving 30% of the world's land, inland water, coastal areas, and oceans by 2030, And then having restoration underway or completed for at least 30% of degraded terrestrial, inland water, and coastal and marine ecosystems. Reduced to near zero areas that would be disturbed by high biodiversity. So making sure that those biodiverse areas are intact. And cut our global food waste by half. And right now, countries are mobilizing $200 billion a year toward these goals, which is double the baseline that was set in 2020, so that they can focus on these areas. When we look at the planet in this way, and I know that I just rambled off a lot of statistics and a lot of difficult news to kind of swallow. But we look at our world this way, and then look at the Beatitudes, which we get from Jesus I find that this is almost like, in a way, Jesus kind of warning us about this. And it's not that much different than kind of what even Micah was talking about. To do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Are we actually doing that? Because if we're looking back to us being in the garden and the role in which we were having the play of having a relationship with God and taking care of this place that we are living in, are we doing that? Are we being meek? Are we being mourning the hard parts of what the environment is going through? Are we recognizing the kingdom of God that is near us? Are we being merciful? Are we being peacemakers? I think when we look at the environment in which we're in and looking at the world around us, I think there's a lot of things where we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do in order for us to be able to have the time to be able to move forward with these different ideas that we have, realizing that this isn't just this disposable place, but recognizing that this is a gift from God that we are trying to honor is a whole nother thing in and of itself. I have always seen God in creation. And for me, recognizing and seeing that creation is suffering is a hard thing. And I realize myself that there is plenty of things that I need to do better to reduce my impact on the environment. I don't have enough where I'm growing and having my own food coming in locally. I'm not spending enough time with my hands in the dirt. I'm not spending enough time recognizing the hurt that my environment around me may be feeling. I'm not spending enough time to recognize where things are starting to disappear. Or am I just worried about my consumption, worrying about how I'm seeing the world, worrying about making sure that I am being met and not actually caring about the people that are around me? much less the environment that's around me. And if that's the case, how do I then humbly walk in front of God and be able to acknowledge the presence of God and be able to be on a level playing field? Because I haven't even acknowledged the gifts of which God has given me to begin with. It's hard to acknowledge the gifts that have been given if we're immediately just trying to get rid of them. Now, I do not feel that this text is totally staying just to stop all innovation. But I would argue that this text is also pushing us to be responsible. It's challenging us to be good leaders and respectful of time and place and kind of what Micah is getting at as the prophet. Having us reflect on how can we do a better job? How can we make sure that we're helping each other, not just my bottom line? And I think that's something, as a global community, we really need to be thinking about. I've sat and talked on this microphone plenty of times talking about areas that are lower income that don't necessarily have the same voice as the United States for various different reasons, so then they don't hear their stories of how they are being affected by the decisions that I am making, that we are making, that directly impact their lives and their livelihood. And that's just another human, homo sapien, that can actually speak to us. How well are we actually acknowledging the animals that are disappearing, the mammals, the birds, the amphibians, the pretty ones and the non-pretty ones? Are we being caretakers? Are we being merciful? Are we looking for those who are hungering and thirsting? Maybe it's for the animals or the creation that's hungering and thirsting. Are we acknowledging that. So the question I have for you this week is, when looking at the Beatitudes, are you looking at these Beatitudes beyond the human experience? When you're looking at the Beatitudes, are you looking beyond the human experience? I honestly believe that as people, we struggle with this. We do well for a period of time, but then we struggle just as fast. We fall back into old habits. We don't see the results, and especially me being in the United States where the amount of species reduction has actually been quite little compared to many other places around the world and the reduction in species is so small and the recovery stories get published it's so easy for us to fall into the trap that everything's okay it's that hard balance that we have to live where recognize the success stories yes But also, in the same breath, recognize the places where we fall short and realize that that means we need to keep going. And that's what our faith is all about anyways. These are reminders of us that we should be continuing to grow, not stagnant. This means that we can't just settle on what we've always done or this is the way that things have been for a while. It means that we have to be willing and able to take that risk to go forward for something that's going to challenge us. Looking for the ones who don't have voices, looking for the ones who aren't accustomed to being in those places and making sure that we are there to encourage and help be there and be a bridge is hard. Recognizing along the way that that might mean that you're getting persecuted, but that doesn't mean just because you're getting persecuted means that necessarily you're doing the right thing. That's part of why our prayer life is so important in recognizing and looking at these other characteristics and not getting stuck on just a couple. The environment around us, I think, has been trying to reach out to us. It's the question of, as us, as a responsible gardener, are we going to notice? And when we notice, are we going to reverse course, or are we gonna continue with business as usual and see it as not important? Are we looking for the wisdom of us, Are we looking for the wisdom of God? And I feel like that's kind of a pressure point in where we're at. And I think when we look to the environment and we recognize that it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to give up all moving forward in technology, it means that we need to be more responsible in how we're doing it. And be as creative as we possibly can with figuring out how we can then minimize our impact so that we have a place to actually live and grow. And be the people that God has called us to be. And I think that when we are able to do that and acknowledge that, that's when as a global community, we will actually come together in a way that we've never have. Because instead of fighting the environment, we're working with the environment. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.